Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Dan Dalrymple, head strength coach for the New Orleans Saints, hosted by Justin Swin. Before we get started, I want to thank you guys for being on call with us. Um, obviously, during these times, uh, we're pretty much all secluded to our houses. I know you guys down in New Orleans, uh, it's hitting, hitting Louisiana hard, so I know you guys are definitely uh, probably more secluded than a big part of this country. Um, but I do know this, that, you know, you've been a lot to me as far as in this field and, and looking up to you guys. So, and I appreciate the, the time that you're giving us today to uh, just to wrap a little bit and, and talk amongst coaches and philosophy and, and just kind of lean on your wisdom um, in this setting um, because we want this to be uh, as capable of a program as we can. Um, but uh, other than that, um, on your side, kind of introduce, uh, we've got Coach Bird, Coach Winning, and Coach uh, Dow Ripple. Um, all these guys are strength staff with the Saints. They've been there since uh, Coach Payton got there. Uh, uh, right there in the uh, mid 2000s, and uh, they've been holding strong. Um, worked with uh, Super Bowl championship team, um, and uh, always have been right there. Except for Rob, Rob it. got in. We haven't won a Super Bowl since Rob got here. We won one <laughs> right before he came in, and we haven't won it since. <laughs> you guys, are, you guys are right. Rob. <laughs> Rob, you guys are right there, right there at the cusp. But um, anyways, uh, kind of. The big purpose for today, one, is to have the, the peek into you guys, but two, um, y'all are very diverse staff. Y'all have a diverse knowledge base and understanding, and knowing that, that we can see that being conducive to our setting and seeing benefits in that. So um, without further ado, kind of uh, open up the floor. I'm let Willie ask a couple questions, open up to the staff, and if anybody else wants to, so be it, and I'll do so, do so too. That's good. Um yeah, so again, thank you guys for taking the time uh, to speak with us. Um, the big question that, that we've been kind of kicking around is a little bit of context is every all of the training we do, um, where we're at is run probably as closely to what would be a collegiate setting or a professional sports team where we bring guys in groups, we train like on the hour, stuff like that. Um, the biggest difference and kind of why it's super important for us to get your guys' feedback and input is – everything that we do with these soldiers is 100% optional. So for us, buy-in and creating that culture of buy-in has become a huge kind of sticking point for us in what we're looking at the direction of the program. So when it first started out, typical army fashion, it was mandated. Everybody had to come, whether they liked it or not, they would come in in a couple groups of about 120 guys. So we would either do 120 guys at six in the morning or we do 120 guys um, at four in the afternoon. So we were, either the, we were either the reason they were getting up or the reason they weren't going home at night, um, yeah. which kind of left a really negative um, connotation with these guys. So the big thing is I always kick out to guys that are in your guys' position is how are you guys utilizing kind of your knowledge, um, the, the philosophy that you guys have instilled for when guys get drafted and they come in new to the program um, or the guys that have been traded um, or come over via free agency that haven't been exposed to your program but have had exposure to other programs at that level? Well, 
I would say this. Uh, there's a couple similarities. There's some differences. You know, you look at our players during the regular season when we have them or, or any of the mandatory times, their training isn't optional. And so we can find them if they don't come in and do what they're supposed to do. In 14 years, I've never found anybody. Um, part of it is we have a little control with guys coming in. And one of the things that Coach Payton and our personnel people go through a lot is they want to have guys who are hard workers and who under, are, are good pros and understand what they're trying to get accomplished and how important training is. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. Um, that's an advantage for us. Now, you look at our off-season program, and that is, for the most part, 100% optional. But there's also some tie-in there, too, because a lot of guys have bonus structures set up. And so – or they're guys that are younger guys, not making a lot of money, and so they can come in and, one, get a paycheck because they're paid per day um, for being there, and, uh, and, two, not have to pay to train. So we get a little bit of uh, a mixture there. Now the problem becomes – especially in the off-season program, that guys start thinking it's optional. And I always have to tell them it's optional for you to walk in the door. But once you get in the door, we're going to follow the program that we have set up. Now, I try to be open with our players and have them have a good feedback back and forth to allow them – you know, some input on what they're trying to do because they do come from other programs. They do have things. A lot of our guys are veteran players who have been training for a long time. And so they're going to they're gonna have some ideas of things that work for them. And I feel like with professional football players, for sure, their egos are going to be big enough and, and, and that. And then if you try to tell them 100% that they've got to change everything they do and follow what you want them to do exactly – and you, and you don't give them any type of uh, involvement in their program or feel like they have any, any choices or any, any kind of say, they're going to they're gonna push back. Um, I coached for 19 years in college before I came in the NFL. And college guys were the easiest because they basically had to do everything you told them to do, at least in my situation, that was the case. And so there was no, like, talking to them about, you know, they weren't coming in and telling me what they wanted to do or what they, whatever. So it was very, very much a, a dictatorial type of a setting. The NFL's not. Um, I think in college, especially now, the strength coach is probably second to the, to the head coach in terms of influence in most programs. Um, that's not the case in the NFL. We're, we're, <laughs> we're down, we're down the line a little bit and, and, and it's, you know, everyone understands that the players are the show. So you work with them. I would, I would get back to mainly the key when I first came into the league was I was told my responsibility is to have information. These players want stuff that's going to make them better. They want information. They want us to provide them with methods and, and ideas that are going to help them improve. And as long as they feel like you have that, they're going to listen to you. And there's going to be buy-in. And if they stop thinking that that's the case, if you stop evolving in your approach and improving and having new stuff to throw at them 
and little ideas here and there, they're not going to listen to you. And like going back to when I talk to our players and I've got an idea of what they, they want, there's certain things. There's, you know, the one thing when you sign players who training is very important to you, to them, it helps us as strength coaches, but they're also going to have very strong opinions. And so you have to listen to their opinions. And most of the time their opinions are pretty valid. And so I'm not going to sit there and go, well, you know, I plan on doing front squats today, but this guy wants to do back squats a lot. He feels like back squats are better than front squats or vice versa or whatever. I'm not going to freak out about it. You know, as long as it's within my thing. If a guy comes in and says, well, I never train legs. Well, that's going to probably be a problem. And so we're going to have to figure something out there. But um, for the most part too, it's, it, I had the same thing in college. If they, if they feel like, you're trying to do things to help them and you're really committed to your ideas and you think your ideas are right. And you're willing to like, just take a little part. Like you just try this, you have a little bit of this and it works. So I say, okay, try a little more of this. So instead of walking in and going, Hey, these are the 10 things you're doing today. And they're all different than what you want to do or what you've done before. You kind of introduce it in pieces a little bit and you give them a little bit of freedom and then they buy into it. Um, like I said, unless and I really haven't come across anybody who's so far out outside of the wheelhouse that, you know, we're going to, we're going to haggle over it. You know, a little, I'm not going to a little thing. I'm going to bounce back and forth a little bit. I don't, I don't care, but big things will, will draw a line somewhere, but it kind of works out. I, I think if they're invested in the program and they feel you're invested in the program, you have information, and you're not just telling them to do stuff for the sake of telling them to do it, then they, then they buy it. What do you think, Rob? I keep getting your picture. You going to shave sometime here? Or what, what do we got? I know. Got a beard going on? Being a grizzly bear lately. It's been too busy moving. Um, I'd honestly say, like, like he said, I'd go off what Dan said, is communication. You got to communicate with the athletes. They got to communicate with you. And just keep them in a positive mindset and communicate with them on as, as to if they come up to you, be like, well, I don't want to squat. Well, first off, why? If they say they want to, it's like, all right, well, I think let's try this squat. Let's try this. Or if they say they have a back problem or a neck problem, okay, well, let's go to pit short. Let's do a goblet squat. Let's do a sumo deadlift. Let's get the squatting form in without putting a bar on your back. So it just – they got to communicate with you and you communicate with them. And I think it, that's how it works. Charles, you have any ideas over there? No, I'll thank you. Guys. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, sorry. No, my biggest, my, my, my biggest thing, my, my biggest thing, my biggest thing is, um, just uh, so players, I'm going to say you really care about them and uh, help them you know, with their success on the field. And as long as you have their back. I, I agree with that. I mean, it goes back to the whole thing. Is, 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 is the, whoever you're training, if you're working with them, they need to know how much you care, and then they'll care about how much you know. So if they really are committed or believe that you're committed to them, and like everything you're doing is trying to help them, reach their goals, then 
they can't really argue with you too much about it. You know, if they feel like you're passionate about it, I don't think you can ever be too passionate about something and you can ever be, you know, uh, too much. And we, we have to be a little bit cheerleaders for these guys. Cause like I said, their egos are, are big enough that they want, they're used to people telling them good things about them and, and they don't respond to a lot of negative uh, criticism. They'll respond to critiques when you say, Hey, you can get better if you do this. But if you try to, you know, just get on their ass too much um, just for the sake of being on their ass. Like I, like I might've been with our college, my college players, they don't respond as well to that. And, and I know that's going to be different from a military background because I think the military guys, they're in the military because they're used to taking orders and they kind of, they like that to a degree. Um, our guys aren't necessarily, they're, they're used to from high school and college and they'll tell you, oh, what are you, a college guy, you a college strength coach or whatever, whatever you try to be. Like, that was the thing I heard about, of course, because I was. I was coming straight out of college. But, uh, go, you're a college guy. You're used to having this and that. And you're like, well, yeah, but I'm also just trying to train you, too. So, there's some there's some methodologies that you have to follow no matter what. Does that, does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Yes, it's- sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just it's, – it's a weird scenario because I think a lot of it when – so, I've been here for five years. And I think a lot of it is the preconceived notions that – when you come in and especially, I, I don't know about big army, but for the, the soft community, we, when I first came in, I just assumed it was like every off season we ever had, like everyone wore the same t-shirt, their last names and shit were on it. And they were going to come in and we were just, we were barking out orders. And when you get to the soft community, it's a lot more like what you're describing um, because they've been through all that. So they've essentially, um, without the athletic attributes, they've kind of progressed to what would be considered, I guess, the professional level of this. Mm-hmm. So they require a lot more. We, we kind of describe it as you talk to them instead of talk at them. Um, they require a lot more of that because they're seeking information because they realize that they've made it to a certain level and may have never, ever had um, exposure to a strength and conditioning coach. So now that one's coming in, why are we better than what they've done to make it to the quote unquote elite level? So that's just you guys explaining that is, is, is kind of reaffirming kind of the approach we're trying to take. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think there's a lot more similarities than there are differences probably from what you guys are doing to what we're doing. If compared to, like you said, the collegiate model or a high school model where, you know, you're bringing guys in and it's, it's kind of, you know, you're over here, you're doing this, here you go. I'm blowing a whistle here. Let's start. Boom. And, and and our guys don't respond very well to that at all. Yeah. And our guys kind of want to be more, actually more so than I want them to be. They want to be individualized. They want to have, you know, I know, especially the, the higher level they are, you know, it's like Reggie Bush always wanted the Reggie Bush program. It's like, okay, that's good. And Reggie was a hard worker, is a hard worker. Um, he, he would just, uh, he would look and see, okay, this is what the team is doing. Okay, well, what else do you have for me? And Alvin Kamara is a little bit like that. I mean, there's a little bit of uh, a lot like that. He, he kind of wants to have, okay, what's what what do you have for me? Like Michael Thomas is definitely like that. You know, because, okay, that's what everybody's doing. I want to know what, what, what special, extra, harder than everybody else – different i'm better i'm superman and so you have to train me differently do you have for for me so you got to kind of 
you got to provide them with something and let them think that you do have something that's a little different for them and that you gave some thought to it and that you do think you have as high opinion of them as they have of themselves. So is that a lot of window dressing or is it, do you actually make some no. substantial no, you, changes? You, find, you find some ways to do things that are maybe a little more challenging. Okay. You know, you add like if, if I have a progression of exercise and I have a really basic exercise and then I'm going to incorporate a lot more, uh, you know, I might, I might do multiple movements together, you know, incorporating lower and upper body things into it. A lot of core, add extra core difficulty to it. Um, maybe it's a methodology like uh, Michael in season loves to do a lot of BFR stuff. And so he'll, our, you know, one of our trainers will come in and he'll, he'll go through like a BFR finisher and, and he thinks that's special for, for him. And, and sometimes you just kind of, okay, good. You know, it's not going to hurt you. So we'll add that to in your, you want to do that? You know, we'll add that in there. Um, uh, Alvin likes to do a lot of kind of balance and, and, and core stability and some things like that, that, that are maybe some, stuff that the uh, Reggie was this way too stuff that like only they are athletic enough to be able to do I wouldn't have the general population try to do an exercise like some of the stuff that we do with them with you know some get just getting in, in kind of unstable positions and trying to get back to stability and throwing you know throwing med balls at you different things like that where you know we might do a traditional core routine with someone else bridging and, and just stuff like that where now we're going to add more dynamic work to it or we'll add some more dynamic stuff to um some of his lower body training that we'll do a lot more single leg work maybe more sled pushing work compared to just pure squats or add more plyometrics uh, contrast training into what they're doing. Um, just kind of a step. If it's a continuum from the most basic stuff to the, to the most extreme, which kind of all of our workouts look that way, because we'll see, you know, this guy isn't ready for this. And there are certain guys that want to come in they want to back squat. They want to power clean. They want to press. They want to hinge. They want to pull. It's very simple. And then there's other stuff that they want to they want to do things that that's why I, I watch the internet quite a bit because it's the same reason why I used to read bodybuilding magazines when I was coaching kids in college because I'm going to see what they're going to see and it looks cool and I better know about it already. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And I better know how to be able to transition that from just the bullshit that some guy is trying to do to get the clickbait that they're trying to get on Instagram you know, see how many likes they can get or whatever it would be compared to like, okay, how can we use that? Cause they're going to think it's really cool. And what can we, how can we actually turn it into a training exercise that's actually going to be productive and not just a stupid human trick that someone's doing, trying to like I say, oh, I'm so smart. I, I've created, you know, and I see our play and I keep track of that too. I follow our players because you'll see some of the stuff they're doing in training and some of it's like, Oh, that's a pretty good idea. I think we'll incorporate that or, or no, that's terrible. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to overcome that when he gets here <laughs> or they're going to be hurt from doing something stupid that they were doing. So anyways, thank you. 
Coach Dalrymple, quick question for you and your staff. Um, so you guys have been together for 13 years. Um, how do you continue to motivate your staff? And how do you continue to motivate yourself? Um, and in that kind of two parts, how do you also continue to educate yourself uh, and your staff in that motivating factor? I think motivation is easy. I think you're in the NFL. If, if you have the right people, you don't have to worry about motivating the right person. I think I've got, I think I've got my staff, I think are pretty motivated. I think they're driven in a desire to help our players. I, I think if you would look at, at, at my two assistants, you would see two guys who are very much motivated to, to help the guys. And they're, they're excited about that. And they're looking for ways to do that. Um, and then from my standpoint, my motivation is always to win. And, you know, I've won a Super Bowl. And I want to win more. And I know that one thing I know, you know, there's a lot of different things we can talk about in strength and conditioning and, and different ideas. And you may feel one way or another way. And there's different ways to do things. I know the one thing with the, the, that is always true, 100% of validity. Winning always beats losing. He would always rather win than lose. And so I'm motivated to try to win as much as we can. And I know the, the better our players are, the, the better condition they're in, the stronger they are, the more resilient to injury they are, the better our chances of winning are. And so that carries over to our players. Our players want to win. And so they want to know, do I have information that can help them win? And so my motivation has to be to continually try to be better and stay ahead of the posse. Because like I said, I go back to that thing. The minute they start thinking, ah, he's got nothing to tell me, they're going to stop listening, and then I'm no longer going to be employed. So that's, that's my motivation every day. I feel like I have to continually be a better strength coach. I've got to be smarter. I've got to be – I've got to have new ideas. I've got to be on top of everything that's going on out there. Because if I'm not, and a player comes in and they start talking about something, and I go, what are you talking about? Then they're going to go, oh, he doesn't know he's talking about it at all. So, you know, 37 years of knowledge goes out the, out the, out the window because I wasn't aware of some supposed new technique that someone came up with. You know, so uh, that's there's a and there's a little bit. I think I think fear is a good motivating factor. I think you know people talk about not being a well. I think you got to have a little bit of fear that you're not smart enough or that you're not you're not doing a good enough job. And if you have that little bit of fear, it's going to keep you going. You know, you gotta, like you fear like I, I don't go into any any year feeling like. I'm just going to get the next year. You know, I'm always at the edge of our year, no matter how successful we are, I'm thinking, you know, is this going to be the year that I get called in and I'm, we're going to go in a different direction, you know? So that kind of keeps you no matter what, you know, it's like, and that's where that's, that's the option. That's the, the situation our players are under. They know not very few players and very few coaches and anyone at this level gets to pick when they leave someone's going to tell them and so 
I don't want to give the person who's going to tell me any ammunition. So I really feel like I have to continually find new ways to get better. And, you know, I've got a, I've got a goal of someday having a perfect program of, you know, nobody ever gets hurt. Everybody's strong enough. We never lose a game where I feel like we wore down. We never go against a team that I feel like is up more physical than we are you know, all those kind of things. And there's been parts of it, you know, it's, we, I, we've never had the no injury deal, but that's a good goal I have. Um, it's an impossible goal to achieve, I think, but it's, but, you know, why not try? So, you know, we're looking at that and, and we're, we're trying to go. And so and, and once I get a perfect program where we win every single game, we win the Super Bowl, I feel like our players dominated in every position and no one ever got hurt, then I'll retire. So, that was a long-winded version of the answer. <laughs> How about Coach Coffee? Winning. This is coffee, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I was getting ready to ask you what was in that cup. <laughs> the, the what do you think's in the cup? No, I think, you know man, like you know, it's coffee. <laughs> Ice coffee. coffee. Black, black, <laughs> black, black iced coffee. Um, uh, go, yeah. Um, no, I was just gonna say, like my, I say my, I would say definitely the players and and Dan for sure because we would come in, it's like, oh, here's this new idea or here's this new thing that he has, and you're like, man, how does he always keep coming up with all this stuff? <laughs> so that per- me personally, like that keeps top of my game and make sure that I'm on top of what's coming up next and ideas, and then also the because they always want to know, like, what's going on. And if, uh, Von Bell last year, for example, he's always coming in and asking me, Bird, like, what should I be doing? What should I do? What should I do? So that there, these guys. And then as far as winning, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. So they all know that. And as long as we're there to help them win, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Go ahead, Rob. I'd have to go with the same thing. Like, motivation is automatically you want to win. But Charles and Dan already felt what the Super Bowl feels like. I want to feel that because they always tell stories, and it always sucks that I'm listening to the stories and I've never felt it before. So <laughs> that's what I want to get to. I want to get to the Super Bowl. Big close. Close ain't good enough. Um, also, like what Bird said is Dan. Dan motivates you because he thinks of exercises – throughout every day he's like hey let's try this let's try this put this band together put this dumbbell with this and try to do this and it just it motivates you because you can show the players and you try it and you're like oh shit this actually works I, I like it and Dan always says his neck's getting so big I mean but it, I mean he's he's so he's very smart <laughs> all about <laughs> <my> big brain also <laughs> 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 fun when the players come in because like if we're doing box jumps they get competitive or if they're squatting, they get competitive. It's, it's a fun atmosphere to be in when all the players are in, when we can get back in that atmosphere is that competition in the weight room is that's what makes it fun. Also. I appreciate it guys. Any other coaches from Swift want to ask or Taylor want to chime in? Yeah, you talked about injury uh, a couple times there. How do you guys collaborate between your strength staff and your athletic trainers or your sports med docs? Or how do you, how do you get guys facilitated in and out of the 
program uh, when they're when they're hurt or when they're coming back from being hurt? Well, our our situation is, and I think it's a positive in that our rehab um, is done mostly in the weight room. They have, there's a little area in the training room that they start some of the basic stuff, but for the most part, when the players come in, they're doing rehab post-surgical or, or early stages of a rehab uh, with the trainers, they're in the weight room. And so we're seeing what the players are doing in the rehab setting. And so we have a communication going on all the time. And we can talk. We have two full-time physical therapists on staff, you know, a lot of the number of trainers, and we can talk to them. And I'll, I'll just talk to our guys and like, what do you like about, you know, what do you like in this situation? What do you think is important in this situation? And then I can take that and I can look at it. A lot of times I, I go backwards. If I say, this isn't, this is how we're rehabbing the injury. Well, then maybe we should utilize a similar movement in our training to identify, to, to try to prevent, you know, the weakness that we're trying to come back from, you know what I mean? So um, cause I, I tend to believe that the most injuries happen because for whatever reason, the, the, the body was not able to handle the stimulus that was put forth. And so now obviously, you know, you get in a car accident, you're probably not going to be strong enough to be able to overcome that, those forces, but you start seeing some of these overuse injuries and you start seeing some of these, um, imbalances or you know then it's a it's a it's a touchy subject because there's people that don't believe in compensation patterns i actually do one of our physical therapists doesn't at all he doesn't believe that happens and so we we kind of go back and forth a little bit on some of the stuff um he, he's got a different it's just it's really just an argument of of what we're calling things but um you start to look at that and you go, okay, well, what can we correct? What's the problem here? And, and most of the time, I think that most of the players have similar issues involved. You know, and a lot of stuff is hip related and a lack of mobility and strength and, and motion. And so if you have an area that's not moving right, you're going to have other areas that are going to be more susceptible to damage because they're having to deal with forces all the time that they shouldn't have to deal with. So now, you know, like if my, my ankles aren't very mobile, it's going to, it's going to affect everything else up the kinetic chain. And so I have to work on and, I, and I'm, That's kind of my new thing. They're not my new thing, but it's kind of my, like my focus right now. I usually train from the center out. And I think about writing programs from proximal to distal but I'm starting to think about how a weakness distally can affect the rest of the kinetic chain going back in. For instance, upper body training. If I have weak grip, weak hands, that's going to affect everything else. I know like from my days competitively in powerlifting, if I had a good strong grip and I could squeeze the bar in a bench press, I felt like I could lock that bar out. And so the stronger my hands were, even though they're really not part of that press, I felt if I was strong, I could lock it out. And so I'm starting to look at the feet and I'm thinking about the feet and I'm thinking about different. I, um, I had an opportunity. I was talking with Cal Dietz a little bit about 
some of the stuff he does with with his training and 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 I, I think we need to work and strengthen our feet more and our players need to strengthen their feet because if their feet aren't strong and their ankles it goes all the way up and so you know that's one of now 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 I got to think about how I want to do that you know because there's we're limited and I'm kind of pissed off because it looks like we're not going to have much of an off season. I had some pretty good ideas that I wanted to put in, but it's really coaching intensive. And so I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that uh, remotely. Uh, I'd be one thing if I put it in and I could coach it, but if I'm dealing with, you know, 90 some players who've never done some of the things I want to do, I don't necessarily want it. I don't want to ever introduce anything I can't teach or coach. And so there's going to be some things I'm not going to be able to do this year yet until they get back. Now we may get it back at some point, but I feel like most of our guys' feet are weak and it makes sense because they're wearing over-engineered shoes all the time. And they're, you know, now, you know, the whole barefoot movement, I think went, came and went because people realized that you can't just go from, you know, decades of, of doing everything in, in over-engineered shoes and then go out and try to run around and, you know, do all that stuff right away. And, and it was like, it's kind of like I go back to when plyometrics were, you know, in being in, like people took the plyometric programs from, from Russia and they applied it directly to the same age, age group. And they didn't understand Americans didn't understand training age. They didn't understand that these athletes had gotten, you know, that these Russian athletes have been training since they were two or three years old doing various forms of jumping. And so we said, we're going to take a high school athlete or a college athlete. We're going to put in a program that a college athlete, same level would do in the, in the, in the Russian system, the Soviet system. And then everybody got hurt. And then everybody said, Oh, plyometrics are bad for you. You're going to get hurt. Well, yeah, anything done inappropriately or for preparation, you're not prepared for it. Yeah. And then you add in the fact that now you're not only adding way too high level training, but you're dealing with a large athlete, you know, the guy's full grown now. He never, he never built up from town. So we've got to go back. And so it's trying to strengthen the feet is going to be a difficult thing, but I think we can work in that kind of stuff. And so those are just the ideas that I, that I that go through my head when I'm sitting around thinking. And, and, and so I'm going to start, like we're working more on how can we can improve our grip strength for our upper body training and how's that going to affect elbows and shoulders and 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 the other different injuries we see and the uh, same thing distally in the foot trying to improve that the ankle trying to improve that strengthening the various links in the chain so that's that's my that's my injury and we we look at we do a lot of things with um trying to train movements and 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 muscles that 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 you don't see um, in your traditional like your training like we're so we're I have a player who's practicing all the time and they're working certain motions over and over and over again right extensions big in football so when I'm training players in the off season I've got to overemphasize flexion in a degree I've got to overemphasize like if we're doing all the striking. I've got to really overemphasize pulling. And if we're doing a lot of stuff that um, is working major movers, I've got to work on more stuff to look at 
try to affect some of the stabilizers, you know, because I believe the body becomes its function. You become very, very good at what you're asked to repeatedly do. And when we have to look at the practice and the games, as well as what we're doing in our training program, because they're all repetitions and it's all volume. And so that's one of the reasons why my idea of specificity in the weight room is, is not trying to recreate movements that we would do on the field. It's actually trying to balance things back out from stuff we're doing on the field and also strengthen the muscles that, or the movements that are, that are needed. I mean, it's not like we're not working on striking for an offensive lineman because they need it, but they, they probably spend, they spend a lot more time striking and pushing than they do pulling. So we need to try to balance that back out. So all that stuff gets to, you know, and, and our core stability is important. The ability to be able to, to anchor that's anchoring that this concept of anchoring is something I'm fascinated with and how we tie our, our upper and lower body together and how that course, you know, that ties together because that's going to be an issue we're going to run into from a performance standpoint, someone can't anchor. And if you can't hold yourself in an efficient body position, when you're performing your skills, you're going to be more susceptible to be in a position that you're going to be injured in because you're not going to be strong. So that's a number of different ideas I have with, and then, and, and I'm not afraid to ask. I ask our trainers all the time to the point where I think sometimes they think I'm stupid because I ask them questions about simple things but I'm really trying to figure out how they think and what their thoughts are. And sometimes that's going to give me a prism to look at my thoughts and go, huh, that guy's pretty smart. And this is the way he looks at this injury or this training or this exercise we're doing. Maybe I should reevaluate how we're coaching this exercise or what we're trying to get out of it. And I get ideas. So there's there's some some exercises that we've kind of removed from the program that we thought, you know, we were thinking we were getting this out of it, but we're not really getting that out of it. And the more I look at it, we need to have a different motion that we're using, or you know, a different methodology or a different way of training it or a different speed of, that we're training it at or or rep range that we're training different things at and so we try to evaluate things constantly and as many eyes as, I, as many smart people as I can have around looking at what we're doing and having ideas on it I think the better it's going to be the better evaluated now I don't have to take all their opinions because I can say I, I don't believe that still but I want I want that input on, on things so I'll ask my staff I'll ask them well what do you think do this what do you think because I can feel stuff. I can try to do stuff myself. And there are certain exercises I never feel. But there's an exercise that someone else may think is fantastic. And it just affects them. You know, everybody's a little different. You know, there are certain, my menu of exercises that I would do for certain movements that I'm trying to train are going to be a lot different than someone else's. You know, so I try to, I try to, a lot of information. Again, long answer. No problem. Rest of you guys, what do you think? 
uh, I, I'm just going to like the, um, I guess more from like the transition, right? So, so as these guys are leaving the training room, they're doing the rehab and then the transition from them when they leave the training room and they come into the weight room. Um, really, because a lot of these guys, wanna, they want to get right back into it. So I, I think the biggest thing is us relate our communication with the trainers, knowing that they're ready, they're 100% ready to do what we're in our program and we want, we want them to do. Because I've said the big thing is guys will come in early and they want to try stuff like before they're really ready for it. You know, so I think the biggest thing is the communication with the trainers and making sure that the athlete is ready, 100% ready to do what we're asking them to do. Yeah, I agree. It's 100% communication. You got to communicate with them, the trainers, and the player. And like Dan said, they're doing a lot of their stuff in the weight room or on the turf right outside our offices. We can look outside our office yeah. and see them doing the running program and all that stuff. So we can see where they're kind of at. And then when they usually get done with that, they might come into us and say, hey, I think I'm ready for this. I think I'm ready for this. I want to try to can I go do the hill or go do some stuff. We always just got to talk to them. Hey, let's take it step by step. We got time, especially like right now. They got time during this phase. Hey, let's get you ready for mini camp if we have that, or get your mindset to where you can play at. We don't need you 100% now. We need you 100% for training camp or mini camp or whenever they're ready, they're ready. The biggest challenge we have too when we're bringing guys back out of uh, of a rehab program and in talking with our trainers and our and our physical therapists is going from that purely individualized program with one-on-one or, or two-on-one or one-on-two type coach to or therapist to uh, athlete situation to going into general population where now we've got three strength coaches but we might have 50 players in the in the weight room one time and guys start wanting to have, well, I want, you know, it goes back to what we started out today talking about, well, I want to do things this way. And they're used to having all these little tweaks and being coached on every little thing. And like, well, we're not going to be, we can't use utilize certain exercises because it's too coaching intensive. And we've got to pick the number of coaching intensive exercises that we're going to include in the program. Because if, for instance, like we're doing power cleans, we can't, we can't have three other exercises that are just as coaching intensive because we're going to have to really coach that technique on a power clean and watch that from a, from a safety and, and performance standpoint. So if I've got some other exercise programmed in there, some of that stuff's got to be pretty basic and we can teach him and we can kind of coach him on the fly a little bit more. So that's one of the things that we go around and around a little bit with the trainers because when they would write a program, every single exercise can have a lot of different variables to it. And it's going to be like every like foot placement and stuff like that. It's going to be, you're training somebody individually. It's a lot different than training someone, a group of people. And so, and then we got to get the player back into that mentality of, all right, man, it's not all about you anymore. <laughs> it's about us. So we're all doing this. So that's the challenge that we get, and it's it's tough to tough to deal with a little bit. So uh, next question, I wanted to ask you guys, all three coaches, uh, really important. If if your job was going to change from the Saints and you're going to step into our shoes tomorrow, uh, what 
knowing that you what you do know about from the tactical setting and especially in the soft setting work with green braids and our end what would you bring over that you if you've ever thought about this what would you bring over that you would like to implement with the soldier to make them a better soldier um any big tidbits from your 30 plus years or 20 plus years of knowledge with all you guys could you shine upon us uh and oh, are we talking about in terms of exercises we use, or or or, or how to deal with blank? Or with, uh, no, I mean, not, I think, not necessarily how to gonna... deal. More more philosophy from a training standpoint. Um, say you, you really saw success with working with linemen. You said grip strength is one. Obviously, we know as a soldier they've yep. got to carry a lot of things. Um, yep. So that's that's a prime example. I would that's something I really noticed as a strength coach coming from the collegiate setting to this uh, tactical setting is. That grip strength is king, um, and we yeah. have to we have to dominate with that. So, in that understanding, I guess I gave, gave you an example. See if you can kind of expound upon that. Well, i I'd say I'd say the the things that parallel our work capacity, and 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 probably in your setting, the work capacity portion of it is even gr- way greater than what our guys, because our guys are, are short burst repetitively, you know, but they're not. They're not having to do things for the long, long term and under tension and, you know, the whole marching around with field packs and doing some of the things that they, that, that your guys have to be trained to do their capacity to perform that work has got to be really high. Um, the first thing I would do, it's, it's no different than any time when I deal with a different sport, I go back to the college level. I have to evaluate what that athlete that person is doing in their in their job what do they need what attributes do they need to be successful and what are they repeatedly doing over the course of their daily activities their work that they're doing in their job and so is there some stuff we have to balance back out like i said with you know linemen are pushing all the time so we had to do a lot of pulling so i would look at that i would look at that athlete i'd look at that that guy that I'm, or man or woman that I'm training, and I would say they're going to be doing this over and over and over again. So we got to balance it back out, but also we need to be good at this. So we're going to have these motions, and we're going to be good at it. If we say maybe it's you know maybe it's upper body, maybe it's lower body, uh, maybe some of the explosive stuff's important. I haven't studied what your what your what your people are doing, you know, on a daily basis. Um, so I'd have to look at them, but it'd be a quick evaluation, and then I would just look at it that way, and I train them the same. I'd, I'd utilize the same principles um, in writing their in writing their workouts that we do here, and that's you know that's how we individualize things here, and that's how I do it if I if I went into a different setting. You know, just really go with what you see. I, I found this out too when I dealt with with sports with multiple sports in college. Every area has its own dogma. And everybody says, we're going to do this because that's what you do. This is what these are, these are, this is work that you do for this athlete. This is how you do things. Well, is it or isn't it? You know, you have to look at them and you got to go, okay, that's what I see. All right. Then, you know, and talk to them like, Hey, what, what's the biggest challenge you have? What do you need to be better? What do you wish you, what physical attribute do you wish you were better at? 
and they're going to probably tell you some of the things that they, yeah, I'm not very good at this. I really need to improve this. I'm, man, I have a hard time carrying this. I get worn down having to carry this around or do that. And they're going to tell you, and then you can put it in the program. Charles? Uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, I, I would say if I was to lead a program like that, I would just really enforce um, competition, you know, like whether it's a lot of partners, partner drills or having some type of um, competition within, with the, amongst the guys every day, um, whether whatever the workout may be. I think that would probably be my biggest thing is adding a lot of competition. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, from a mental aspect, I think they're mentally strong already. So I don't think you really have to challenge them in that perspective. But like the work capacity is totally different from football to what you guys are doing with those military people. It's two different levels of work capacity. And also, like what Dan said, I have to piggyback off that saying, find out what their weaknesses are and challenge them with that. I mean, whatever, if, if they can't carry the backpack for three miles uphill or something like that, maybe throw something like that into the program of doing a Stairmaster for 20 minutes with a backpack on or find out where their weaknesses are and get them stronger that way. So mentally, it'll help them out. Brian, you got anything to say, sir? Yeah, I was going to ask um, kind of through uh, your guys' careers, uh, what are a couple of the biggest things you've changed your mind on? Hmm. I would say, I don't know in terms of completely changing my mind on things, but I do see different things that I focus on um, more probably with professional players than I, than I focused on with, with college players. Um, good example, when, when, when I was younger, well, here's a good, actually I have changed my mind. When I was a younger strength coach, I was caught up in the whole idea of chasing numbers with my players. Like, I want a big squat. I want a big bench, a big clean. I want the fastest 40 time I can get. And those evaluations were important. But I think now that there's certain levels of strength that you need to attain, you need to figure out, for me, I want to figure out what the lowest level of strength I need to attain in a certain exercise is, get to it, and then move to a different exercise. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, if, for instance, uh, double body weight squat is, is what we need to do to, for a certain athlete to be successful and be strong enough, then we need to get them to that. And to try to go beyond that, why? Wasting time. There's only so much time. So work on something else you're not good at. And I know like as a player myself and my motivation when I first became a strength coach, and this was one of the questions that was answered, was asked in the sheet that I got uh, uh, beforehand. I became a strength coach because of failing as a professional athlete. So I go to camp in Seattle in 1987. I get cut and I wasn't good enough. And I looked at, you know, training was always important to me. 
I didn't have a strength coach in college. I'd learn on my own. We had a position coach that would open the weight room basically and give us stuff to do. And, and I, that wasn't in, in 87, you know, you didn't have the, the training available through your agents and stuff like that, that, that happened now. So I trained myself and I did a bunch of stuff that was just not conducive to me making the team. You know, one, I, 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 I was a really good squatter, really good bench presser. And so I concentrated on that and I just tried to get better and better and better at that stuff. And in terms of running program, I didn't do repeat sprints and things like that. I just went out and ran distance, you know, because we were out in the 80s growing up, you know, the Rocky mentality of I'm going to go out and I'm going to do road work and I'm going to do all this stuff. You know, that was how I trained. And so when I failed and I became a coach, I wanted to find reasons why I had failed and make sure that my athletes didn't have the same experience. And so we came into that. Well, I had a lot of different things that I had to kind of change. And I did stuff in football because that's what we'd always done, you know? And so I had to change that. And then I, I went into hockey and I was told a lot of things the way you're supposed to train hockey players. And so then I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm watching the sport and I don't know a lot about it. And I'm thinking, well, I don't agree with some of this stuff. When I first took over, when I first took over our hockey program, they would do VO2 max work on a bike a bunch. And they would, they would test the grip dynamometer. So they wanted grip strength and they wanted VO2 max. Big, huge VO2 max. And they didn't really care about repeat intervals. They didn't do Olympic lifts. They didn't do, you know, and then, I started doing some of the football related stuff that I had done with hockey players when we, we were successful. And then I started following Mike Boyle and he was already doing a lot of that stuff, but it was, it was contrary to what a lot of people in the hockey community were doing, but he was right. So in my mind, and so that's thing. So, but then I'm coaching in college and you get caught up in these numbers and you put up the iron, we, we were the red skins when I first started in Miami, Ohio. And we, so we were iron skins, then iron M, iron chiefs, iron M. And we had these clubs and t-shirts and all the stuff we made. And we just kept trying to chase these higher and higher numbers. And now in the NFL, I realized that those numbers, you know, I was surprised when I first came in to the NFL, I have a whole system that I use where exercises are based on percentages or coefficients of other testing exercise. I base everything on either body weight, uh, a theoretical power clean, uh, a, a squat or bench press max. And a lot of that stuff is tied into what like percentage of body weight. So I have a whole system I put in. So like you should be able to bicep. A lot of stuff's for like Charles Pollock's um, structural balance ideas. And so I have all this stuff. And so I used to have these Excel spreadsheets, which I'm redoing actually during this period, but where I would plug in numbers and I, and I would have, you know, you should be able to do this if you can do this. You should be able to do this if you can do this. And my college athletes were pretty good at that. Well, I had plug in squat maxes and bench maxes and power clean maxes for my NFL players. And their maxes were way out of whack with some of the things 
that they could do on other exercises with no relation at all. They were completely, they're extremely gifted in certain areas and completely out in other areas. And so that shows me, you know, you get a guy that could bench press. I had guys that were repping 500 pounds and just like just going on bench press and just like pumping it out. And, and you're like, I have no idea how strong you are. I can't figure it out because like no matter how many, well, how much weight I put on there, you just lift it easily. Hollis Thomas was our nose guard. He'd do that stuff. But then I'd try to put those coefficients in place and like do other exercises and he was completely off. And so I realized that if you train and you're going off and off and off on these prime movers, sometimes other stuff lags. And then, you know, why do you keep training something you're good at when you should be concentrating on something you're bad at? So that's, that's the big thing I've changed. That would be the number one thing I've changed. Now I do believe, and I'm getting back to the idea of your, on your primary lifts that we might use, if we consider a squat related lift, uh, a hinge-related lift and a, and, a, and a pressing-related lift and a pulling really upper body pull, that there should be, those things should be in relation to your body weight. There should be a relative, you know, there should be relativity between those. And then the other exercises should be branched off of those, all that. So basically everything goes back to your body weight. But so we're trying to put together a program that can easily, you know, at least get some ideas and maybe we'll be at a testing because if I see, wow, this guy can do this, but he can't do this. We need to be able to work on this more. And that might balance because that might lead to, that might be based on a compensation or be related to a compensation that's developed, or it might be causing the compensation. You know, you're this week. And so you don't like to be in that position. So you're never in that position. And so you're doing all of your skills and an un, and it's not very effective, you know, it's not very efficient position. So you're going to set yourself up for injury. So that's another part of my grand thing. So, but I, I would say chasing numbers is a thing I got away from. I don't care. People say, how much, who's the best bench press on the team? I don't know. Like, Why well, do you not know? I don't know. And I really don't care. I can tell you who can hit you hardest. You know, I can tell you who can run fastest and, and, you know, guy can catch pretty well. You know, I can tell you Michael Thomas is really, really strong. And, and I actually, I, I evaluate that from watching him play football. Um, I don't know how much he benches, squats, or cleans for a max. I know if I watch him do something and he's using weight, I know if he's being challenged. And so, I, I kind of know how much I want him to be challenged on something, how fast that bar should move, how, you know, what, you know, what he should do. And so I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing. But um, we're actually going back to trying to look at more testing stuff, just, just to give us some ideas of it's easy tests. For, tests are nice because that data is there. And then you, if a guy gets hurt and you get back to that test, you can, but I, I, I feel like, I can watch you move. I'm like, okay, he looks good moving again. He must be ready. But that's hard to – I don't sell – that doesn't sell to some – doesn't sell to players sometimes. It doesn't sell to the training staff all the time. And you know, It's like zebra data. It's like our uh, – we have – you know, you do this like um, catapult or zebra or some of this. I know if a player's tired. Watch him. 
tell he's tired. You know, you can tell me the guy ran this many, you know, okay, good, that's why he's tired, but I just know he's tired. You know, I can go up and I can put my hand on a player's shoulder and I can know he's overtrained just based on his, how his muscles feel. You know, and you feel why he's really tight. He doesn't normally feel that tight. I'm very touchy-feely. My guys would tell you that. I come up and I grab, like, put my arm around guys or whatever. Part of that is to create a, 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 you know, like this whole social distancing. If this continues, it's going to really fuck me up. I'm not going to be able to be a very good straight coach. Because I need to be able to, because I need to be able to come up and grab a guy and say, oh, man, how are you feeling? You know, how they reacted. And then I can tell, and I can, and it goes through the team where you can tell if guys are overtrained. Or you watch people moving or you listen to them or walk past the, I mean, I know I've gotten off the subject, but I walk past the locker room and I can tell if we're tired or not. They're fooling around in there. If everybody besides Cam, because if Cam Jordan is fooling around, it doesn't, because Cam never gets tired. So he's a bad judgment for the team. If everyone else is his level, then they're ready to go. If he's the only one screwing around, then we probably need the back offs and stuff and, and adjust how we do things. I'll stop talking. <laughs> I think, oh, go ahead, Bert. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, okay. My, I'd say, like Dan said, chasing numbers. And one for me is, a big one is, I come from LSU's background where we're power cleaning. Coach Moffitt, for two years, I was with him. So we're power cleaning every day. You're full catching it, going all the way down sometimes, catching it, bringing it up. Um, I trained with Coach Hatch for about three years. So Olympic, he did all this Olympic lifting where we're cleaning. And and then as the years go by with the Saints, like, I still – if you can clean, I want you to clean and catch. Like, that's number one. If you can clean and catch, I want you to clean and catch. But a lot of guys have wrist problems or a lot of guys have shoulder where they can't do the whole high pull. I'm okay with the high pulls or just the clean pulls and just dropping it now. Because the main thing to me is triple extension. Like, I still want to see the triple extension. I still want to see the explosion right above the knee. I still want to see that. You can do that. But you can't fully catch a clean now. I'm okay with it if you have a wrist problem or a shoulder problem. Like, usually at LSU, my friend would say, suck it up. You're, you're doing it. Like, he say all that stuff. But now with this NFL and you're in, this is a business and all that stuff, you got to take care of the guys. But also, you got to push them. I would say I am okay now with a clean pull or a high pull. But as long as you're getting the triple extension, you're being explosive with it. That's one main thing for me that I've learned over these last couple of years. Yeah, um, I would say my biggest thing, man, would probably be just like the sport specific training. Because when I, coming up, when I was first involved with the strength stuff, strength. And my body changed dramatically. But all I really did was what I did on the football field. I never really focused on anything else. Whatever I saw in the mirror, that's pretty much what I worked on. But I tried to get bigger. Um, but my biggest change is just like, you don't have to train the way that you're going to, all the movements that you're going to be doing on the field and at practice every day. Kind of like what Dan said earlier about balancing out your body. Like that's probably the biggest thing that, I would, that I've learned that I would change if I was to write up a, a program was to have more balance in the workout and not just specifically on what this player is doing on the field and at practice. So we're going to do more legs? 
I'm not Yo, a player. Oh, you guys aren't doing it like this. I'm not a player. Drew, <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything to say, my man? Any questions? Uh, a little bit from that conversation is, and I totally get not chasing numbers anymore, but how do you track them? So if we're not, um, what do you keep records of? Um, and y'all talked a lot about from a competition standpoint, is it a competition against myself, my teammates, or is there like a standard sometimes that y'all will use? Well, here's what we're going to do differently. Um, it, this was the plan for this offseason. We, we got away from testing almost entirely and just kind of keeping track of what weights guys were using and then kind of arbitrarily going back and forth and looking at that. Now we were going to – what our plan was when the guys got back is I was going to do a series of vertical jumps with them. Um, we were going to use some force plate uh, testing. We have a Nord board which we'll use that for some uh, our, our uh, hamstring strength. So uh, we do body composition um, with uh, – we have a Sika bi- uh, bioelectrical impedance device, which, uh, you know, I don't get overly obsessed with the body composition stuff um, because the numbers just kind of, you know, it depends on what test you're doing. But um, I want to take weights and see how much a guy could easily kind of a training max in a clean, you know, like I want to know kind of what your single rep is. And we go back and forth too, because you're like, well, should we do rep maxes? Well, I was always of a nature that you're just as likely to get hurt doing a rep max as you are doing a single, because at least when you're doing a single dose, you either can lift it at the speed and technique that you want one time or you can't. Whereas like every, you know, I've torn my pack, I've torn different, you know, I've had all different injuries and it's always been with multiple reps, except for my bicep when I tore my bicep then in this passing, but that was all Rob's fault anyway. So, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> Don't quit laughing, quit laughing, Charles. My pack tears on you. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, anyway, so I want to do I want to do a single rep of like a press. I want to do a single rep of, uh, uh, but a close grip press, not a not a like a, a, a basically it was like a nineteen inch down up uh, single rep press uh, uh, a squat some whatever the variation squat that we're using um, and just have those numbers there. And then what the plan was is to look at how the other exercises correlated with those. If there was a correlation, if the percentages were appropriate, you know, and then base things off there, look at how those singles we did in the power and say a power clean squat and, and bench press variation compared to body weight. And then also how the other exercises compared to that. And then we keep track of that. So that that's going to be the system when we get it back in place. And then we'll, we'll periodically test that. And we may take weights on different exercises. I might, you know, let's see. Uh, we usually keep track of, you know, the heaviest set that a player does they are 
usually not very good at writing it down. And so most of it just goes down to me kind of memorizing that so-and-so can do, you know, this amount of weight for squats and that's kind of what they're doing. So, but we'll get, we're going to, we're going to try to record that a little bit better than we've done before. And then also look at the, how the vertical jumps apply to that at different body weights and how the force plate data applies to that. That's a, we've got a force plate now. We haven't used it much, but I want to look at any kind of correlation I can see from what I'm seeing on the floor, the weight room, uh, to the data that we see from the force plate and see if any of that stuff, um, you know, doing a squat jump on or just a squat on the force plate and see if I can get usable data that can apply to, to weights that I want to use in the, in the rack. But that's, I don't know if I'll have that information or not. And I'll go with Drew on the competition stuff. It's, it's all three levels, individual position group. And as a team, we've done, stuff individually like we'll go up to him be like hey you dumbbell benched 85s last week for five let's let's try 90 so mentally we try to make them compete with themselves also when we do 200s or maybe a box jumps like all the dbs might be all together they're competing within the db group saying oh i got 42 inches today or i got my 200 in 22 seconds today or you know they they compete either if they're all together or one group comes at 7 30 one next group comes at 11 that 7.30 group will go into the locker room at 9 and talk to the guys at 11 and say, hey, we did this, we did this, I got this. And so you're competing within each other. And then as a team, we also compete. We've done stuff with like high-intensity training to rows, to wall balls, to ropes, where you're getting teams of six or seven. So competition, we've done all three, where individually you make them compete with themselves as a group and as a team. Yeah, and I think it would be also it's pretty good how we post numbers and we post stuff up where other guys can see that, and that gives them a comp- that gives them something to push for. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You know, uh, we've taken a lot of your time today, but what I wanted to give you guys opportunity to do, if you have any at all, any questions for us, um, definitely wanted to give you a few minutes to, for us to kind of to chirp back to you guys. Um, and uh, give you any type of anything we can do because you know, like Drew's been a, been strength coach for uh, over twenty years. I'm going on year eighteen, and and uh, Brian's going on year thirteen. So, been in the field, all been head strength coaches at different spots. I want to give you guys that opportunity to ask too. What testing do you guys do with your with your guy with your people Drew, do, when you start a program? Uh, we're kind of in a flux right now. So um, I've been working here probably three and a half years now. We had a set um, testing metrics that we used before. It was a, a trap bar deadlift, a long jump, a 510-5, uh, 300-yard shuttle, and then a body composition. Um, they've moved away from that. The Army has come up with a new uh, combat fitness test um, that they are um, – so you have the – Big Army, which is just your, and then you have special operations. So that metrics testing was just for special operations. Your general Big Army would just do your push-ups, sit-ups, and um, two-mile run. And so they've tried to kind of meet in the middle a little bit more. 
So we're in the um, process of moving to that, but we don't do any of that testing. That comes from the military itself. So we're actually um, have been searching a little bit about, okay, well, this is for record. Is it worth, we're going to get, well, we've got to figure out how easily we're going to get those numbers, number one. So if we get the numbers really easy, then again, we can utilize those numbers. We can train off of that. Then we can go ahead and track it. It may be a difficult um, issue sometimes to actually get some current numbers. So we've also talked about um, not doing it ourselves, but doing something similar or maybe just coming up with our own um, set of tests, battery of tests that we can do. Um, Our other thing is that it's just the time efficiency. So we'll have larger groups sometimes, whereas you still fight the military uh, mentality where they'll have, we'll have to test a hundred guys in two hours. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, so we want to balance the quality with the quantity. And sometimes we're not, um, we don't have the flexibility to, to move things around. So our facility, we're very busy from five in the morning to about eight thirty or nine. And then there's crickets probably until about 11, 11.30, maybe noon, um, just because they're not able to move their day around the way that we'd like to, the way that y'all are able to, or the college setting, um, to try to do that. So we've, we've talked about maybe trying to invest in some kind of technology, force plates, jump mats, something else, else that they can come in there. Again, um, y'all hit on it before, you know, how much coaching is involved with that. I can get someone to if I show them once or twice, here, step on the mat, whatever kind of jump um, testing we come with or a force plate, that way that we can balance getting good information um, versus also the time factor. Got it. Uh, Brian, Justin, jump in. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much sums it up. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, uh, something you can do, get daily readiness. Um, I, I think force plates right now are going to probably be your best, uh, most conducive for a large group of people that they don't like, our, our current population, they don't like to come in, which I'm assuming same with you guys. They don't like to come in and know that they're going to be tested. They're tested in every aspect of everything they do. So if we can do something that's uh, uh, as least evasive as possible, um, yeah. it's, it's easier for them. So that's where the force plate comes into the play. If it's a Sparta or if it's Evolved or whatever you want to decide to use accordingly, um, and be able to get those parameters, utilize them. I think that's where we'd like to go. Um, also, uh, maybe doing a digital uh, camera-based technology like a perch, throw a dial rod on their back and get the vert- vertical jump. But with the great thing with the perch compared to a jump mat is you're getting the eccentric load every single day. You're getting the freaking overall uh, watt output. So you're getting the actual how much force output they're getting every day. So you can see how to get an auto regulatory understanding of that. And it's, again, it's not invasive at all. Um, and then, you know, and then the overall component is if, like you said earlier, if you can find a correlation between that and their strength elements um, and, and minimal strength elements in itself, use a dominometer, I think is, is, is easy. Um, you can be able to judge it. Um, I know the grip is, is huge in our setting. Um, if we can do that and they don't have to stress or strain, uh, that gives us a good parameter. Um, anything else? Uh, I mean, Brian, Brian kind of sees it right now. We have a, a, a SAMT, a digital fire range up top uh, on our 
on our third floor that we're trying to see how we integrate that. So I think let Brian kind of talk into that a little bit. Um, so the, the CMT thing that uh, Justin was talking about is it's essentially a, it's a big room um, with uh, huge projector screens in it and it's Bluetooth enabled. And uh, basically they have actual weapons that are retrofitted uh, with laser systems. So it's kind of like a digital uh, shooting range and they can get readouts on like, like their accuracy and stuff like that. But they can also trace like uh, muzzle path, uh, movement of the muzzle as they're pulling the trigger and uh, it gives them, gives them feedback on their actual shooting. And what we're playing around with right now, kind of just in the testing stages is um, seeing if we can use, uh, I guess in conjunction with the CMT room, uh, if we can develop a program that can show in stretch, uh, take them up into harms, doing uh, f- shooting fresh, and then take them up into different heart rate zones, and then um, shooting them again, uh, go through shooting again, and just kind of seeing what the sorry, but, um, seeing what the the effects are if we can show. Um, like degrees of fall off at the different heart rate zones and then longitudinally uh, with the program, seeing if we can then show improvement at each uh, heart rate zone. Um, and uh, if it, if it works out, that might be a route we, we go down is actually kind of pitching that to the army as uh, another service we can offer. So it's, yeah. it's the one little thing we can do that's really like sports specific, I guess you could say where you, you yep. could show some degree of transference. Yeah, that's cool. Good deal. Yeah. Any other questions from the coaches? Oh. Okay. All right. All, all I can say, I'm sure we'll can... come up with them as soon as we sign off. That <laughs> all works. So <laughs> what, one thing I wanted to say is I wanted to thank every one of you guys for giving us your time. Um, the relationship that I've been able to establish with you guys over the years, I've, it's been fruitful to me and been, I've been very appreciative of it. And, and I'm thankful for today. Um, obviously during these dire times, we can still do this. And I, and I, and I yep. love that. Um, Cause we can still cultivate and, and build us strength coaches. Uh, other than that, uh, what, what I'll do is I'll, I'll share this video with you sometime today. So you guys have access to it too. Um, so you can review cool. it and look through it and have access to that. But other than that, like, this is an ongoing relationship. I don't want it to stop here. So if you guys ever need anything yep. from us, um, vice versa, I would like to do that. And uh, wish Thank you guys you. the best of luck. Sounds um, good. Know, you too. I know things are hard. So um, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good to see you all. All right. all right. Thank you, guys. Good luck to everybody. Stay quarantined. <laughs>